Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here with us in the house. If you're online with us, welcome as well as we start a new series called Honest. It's a series I've wanted to do for uh, quite a while because I think, in reality, all of us struggle with being honest. I mean, let's just be honest, right? <laughs> that we all struggle with being honest. And so it's just a three-week series, and, and we're talking about, first of all, this morning, being honest to self, and the next week, being honest to others, and then the last week, being honest to God, right? And we wrestle with being honest. That's just our challenge. And today, so I want to focus on being honest to self, in, uh, in my office above my desk, I have this phrase that I put there so that I can be honest with myself. And it's this phrase, there is a savior and I'm not it. <laughs> there is a savior and I'm not it. And then I have John the Baptist quote in John 3.30 in the new part of the Bible. It says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So in my life, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And I put that phrase above my desk in my office because there was a day in my life that I felt like I had to save everybody. I had to save the world. And there were times where I could be gone literally every night for eight days, two weeks, whatever, trying to deal with any kind of crisis that would come up in people's lives. And I felt like I had to make it right. And I came to this point, and my wife came to this point, and my family that, hey, listen, you're not the savior. You know, news report, right? And I, I was living this lie that I, I was it. I had to make everything happen, right? And living this lie that actually, you know, I was in control. I could be in control. And I've, I've wrestled with trying to be honest with myself all my life, really. I think like all of us. And... In my world, every morning, I, I'm in God's word, I'm before him and all that, and I, I journal when I sort of pray, and I have these journals all over my house and that full and that kind of stuff. I told my daughter last night when she said, oh, what are you grabbing your journals for? And I, I told her, I said, hey, when I die, you girls can read these for months and really find out who your dad was, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to write, but I just grabbed a random journal and I opened it, actually, and it landed on February 2nd, 1990. 99. And this is what I wrote. Father God, you are my God, and I know that I need to be with you. May I seek your face in the morning and desire you all day long. May I be like King David, who has longed to be with you and know you. You are my God, and I need to be about your holiness. A man without holiness is a man void of ministry. My holiness needs to show up in every area of my life, May I not fake it, but put it forth as genuine. And so there was this time in my life where I was faking who I was and really living differently. Lord, help me to maintain a balance of respect for my own life and then those around me. Lord, as Terry said, this uh, pastor at First Baptist giving me counsel, I don't want to be pushing the train up the hill, but I want things to happen as you desire Help me to realize your Holy Spirit is the one that directs and leads your eternal plan and that I am a drop in the bucket, the sea, for carrying it out. You are God and I thank you for that. Thank you that you are mighty and have the power to do all you need to do. 
You are in control. May I now live like it, right? Because in my life, I have this challenge of like wanting to be in control. I mean, I've had staff here say, boy, you're sort of a control freak sometimes or this or that. And I, I, I wrestle with this idea where it's just really a lie. I mean, who ultimately in this room is fully in control of all things, right? And so we can live out these, these lies in our life and we're not being honest with ourselves, right? I mean, I, I just walked through this campaign, as most of you know, uh, for county commissioner and all that. And, and all through that, there was all these emotions, all these, these pieces going on. And, and people would say, well, how are you feeling about the campaign and all that and stuff? And I would, and then, you know, about winning or losing and all that. And I would, I would quote scripture, of course, because I'm a pastor, right? You know, and, and I would say, well, you know, man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his step. And it was really a way for me to get out of really sharing my emotions and, and really where I was wrestling and, and fears I had and all that. Just fears of man. You know, you walk and you knock on a thousand plus doors and, and you fear man at times or woman or, you know, who answers the door? How are they going to treat you? Uh, all those kind of things. What are they going to think of you? You know, all these emotions that go through your head and that. And people say, well, how are you doing? And what do we say? Fine. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Yet... Here I'm wrestling uh, because I have like the whole county evaluating who I am because I'm running for an office. And I'm not doing fine. You know, there's days where you're wrestling and you feel like, oh my goodness, right? And I'm just lying to myself that I'm okay, but I'm really not okay. And I think we, we struggle with that because we're taught all of our lives, right, to not lie, right? We, we are taught by our parents, by our teachers, you know, that lying is something we should not do. But yet, when it comes down to lying to ourselves or dealing with self-honesty, we, we struggle with it. Or a lot of times we just bypass it. We don't even think about this whole idea of, are we honest to ourselves? One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 139. It's a Psalm King David writes, and it talks about God's intimacy with us. How God knows when we sit and when we stand, how he knows the words that are going to come off our mouth, how we can't separate from his presence. And in Psalm 139, there's a point towards the end where David starts talking about his enemies and complaining about his enemies and calling out against his enemies and their ruthless living and, and how they are and saying, God, why don't you do something about those people and all that kind of stuff. But then he catches himself. And he ends the psalm with these two verses where he invites God then to, to evaluate him, realizing that, you know what? Yeah, my enemies, they're ruthless. They live this way. They're wrong, all that kind of stuff. But then I think there's this, this piece where he says, you know, but what about me? You know, it's not like I'm hitting the 10 all the time, right? Those kind of pieces. And so he, he pauses in the last two verses of this psalm, he invites God to evaluate him. This is what he says in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I thought, man, those Two verses are incredibly great verses for myself and for us when it comes to inviting God to help us 
when it comes to being honest to self. And so I want to break down those two verses because what we see King David doing first of all in verse 23, and this is on your outline, is King David gives God the invitation. The invitation to search him. He says right away, search me, O God. So King David comes to this place of humility. He says, God, I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to come in and open the door of my life and allow you to search me. And, and to search someone at that depth is sort of like when, when I went uh, through cancer last year and walked it through having like MRIs and that. You know, people can see you on the outside, but you can't see cancer on the outside, right? It's when they search you on the inside is when they see the disease, right? The MRIs, the CT scans and that, they, they're looking underneath the outward appearance and searching you deeply. In the Hebrew, the, the word search is like miners searching for gold. You know, they got this mountainside, but they're blowing it apart. They're going deep within to search after the gold. They're working at it, right? And so David is saying, God, search me in that way. Look beyond the outward and go deep within. And who? that takes humility. The invitation always takes humility. And so we need to humble ourselves and invite God in to search us. And so then David goes on from there, from inviting God in to search him, to secondly then, the investigation. He then invites God to investigate his life in different areas of his life. And so he starts out and he says, search me, O God, know my heart. And so in biblical times, when they're talking about the heart, it, it is, it's the seat or it's like the center of our emotions, right? I mean, that's why we, we say, I love you with all my heart, instead of, I love you with all my foot. You know, like, what? Really? Right? You know, I mean, why do we say the heart, right? Why do we say, I love you with all my heart? Because it's the, the center, it's the seat of all our emotions, what's going on within us, right? And so David recognizes as well that he can't trust his own heart because he knows what it says in Jeremiah 17, 9. It says this, the human heart is the most deceptive of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Because out of our heart, we produce love, right? But out of our heart is produced lust and deceitfulness and bitterness and triggers from trauma years ago in our life, or out of our heart has produced lies as well. And so David realizes this, and he, he knows that, hey, I can't trust my own heart. And so God, search it, investigate it, know my heart. And he goes on from there, and he says, God, test me as well. 
test me. And, and King David here is asking God in the most literal meaning or the most literal sense to put him to the test. Like, like metals are put to the test to see how strong they are, to strengthen them. David is asking God to try him, to, to refine him, to purify his life. And we know that some of the most precious metals, like gold, are refined through the fire. And so he's inviting God into this investigation and to test every motive, every area of his inner being. And that's incredible. And that's also a scary thing as well, right? To invite God to do that piece. David has this invitation to God to do this investigation in his heart and to test him. And then he moves on from there and he says, know my anxious thoughts. I mean, we, we can't even sometimes communicate or articulate our anxious thoughts. But he's inviting God and saying, God, know my anxious thoughts. Help me to understand if they are correct or not. Researchers say that we have 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Amazing. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I think probably men have three thoughts a day. It's food, sex, and sports probably. I mean, really. But, but, over, but overall, right? I mean, 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And how many of those thoughts in our lives are anxious thoughts? How many of those are producing anxiety? Boy, in our world today, on a day-to-day basis, with the challenges of mental health today and that, we are an anxious people. And so David is inviting God to evaluate, investigate those anxious thoughts. Psalm 139.2, he says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. I mean, God, you know my thinking. If you say, hey, you know a word before it comes off my tongue, you know where it came from, right? From my thinking already. And he invites him in. So in our lives, what would God find? I mean, if if all of my thoughts came up on your phone when Bill Berg was thinking them, you'd be horrified. I mean, you'd wreck your day, right? Right? or it'd provide you a lot of anxiety, whatever it might be. Or even if our own thoughts came up on our phone as we were thinking them, because sometimes we don't even recognize we're thinking them or we can't articulate them, right? But if they came up in script on our phone, we'd be like, oh my, oh, really? You know, who's thinking that? Oh, I am? (laughs) Okay, right? Because there's so many of them, they come, they go, and they're incredible, right? But what do we think sometimes? You know, what are your thoughts sometimes? Are you really who you say you are? Or how often throughout the day are you putting on a front for others or a mask for others? How many of us say often, I want to change, I want to change, but we never take a step towards change? We're just lying to ourselves, right? How many of us are stuck and anxious because of what people have said about us and labeled us as? Whether it's our parents growing up, whether it's 
people at work or school that have said something about us. And we hold on to that. And we think that's our identity, who we are. But yet it's not. But we live under that lie, right? We hold on to it. How many of us like live under the lie that it's always everyone else's fault? And we, we never take account of maybe it's our fault. But it's always somebody else's fault I'm late. It's somebody else's fault the project didn't get done, right? You know, if, if everybody else in this world would just live right, it would be a lot better place. It's not about me. Come on. You know, it's like Leo Tolstoy said, you know, everybody wants to change the world, but no one wants to start with themselves, right? And this whole lie of, you know, maybe I have some things I need to work on, but yet we're lying to ourselves, right? And I think there's this big one that I'm not good enough. We live under this lie that, you know, I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough. And who's giving us that lie? Where's that at, right? And the fact, too, whenever anybody asks, how are you doing? We're always fine. I mean, we lie probably 80% of the time when we say we're fine. Could be up to 95%. Who knows? I mean, seriously. Typically, at that point, maybe we're not fine. Something's going down in our life that is difficult or disturbing or, or challenging, right? And it's just sort of back to when I was walking through the campaign and people saying, well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You know, in reality, I was never fine. I mean, there's so much, so many things going on, people evaluating, people saying things, all that kind of stuff, or, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, all those kind of things. I probably was never fine, but you have to say you're fine. Why? Because you want people to think you're fine, but yet you're lying to yourself. And so there's this tension, there's these challenges. I love the picture we get, 2 Corinthians 10.5. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's writing to the Christians there, and he's saying, hey, be careful of false teachers. Be careful of what they're telling you, what they're trying to teach you, right? What they're communicating over you. And he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, you know, the truth of what God wants us to know. And he says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, And so what Paul's basically saying is, hey, whatever these false teachers are trying to tell you, walk that information over to Jesus, literally, like walk it over to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what do you think about what they're trying to tell me? And he will correct it. He'll say, that's not true. That's false teaching. And there's many people in our lives around us that want to do false teaching in our lives about who we are. And we need to be careful of that. And we need to take that statement, that information, and we need to walk over to Jesus and say, Jesus, is this true of what they are saying about me? And Jesus will correct that. And he says, no, you are a child of God. You are a priest. You are holy. You are loved. You are sung over every morning. Jesus died for you. You're God's most valuable prize. And so the Apostle Paul is warning the church, saying, be careful of these false teachers who are wanting to teach you different from who God is. 
And we have these false teachers in our lives that are wanting to teach us or communicate us who we are different than in our relationship with God. And so for us, when it comes to these anxious thoughts, this this wrong thinking, to make sure that we take it all over to Jesus and talk to him about it. And so Paul, or uh, David, in this psalm, is inviting God in to, to search him, to investigate his life when it comes to his heart, to test him, his anxious thoughts. And then he, he concludes and he says, see if there's any wicked ways in me. You know, look at my behavior, God, towards others. Am I taking advantage of others? Even maybe if it's in slight ways. Am I justifying sin in my life? Am I saying, well, it's not so bad. That's not that bad. Or, well, I'm not like that person over there. I mean, <laughs> that's obviously, they're sinning. Woo. Their sin's bigger than my sin, so it's all right, right? Am I justifying sin? I mean, do I wish harm on others around me at times? Am I being selfish, God? Am I self-absorbed, being selfish? It's, it's my way or the highway. Or God, am I hanging on to unforgiveness towards another person? And I'm unwilling to forgive them because, boy, I want them to pay. You know, I want to I just really give it to them. And so David's inviting God to see if there's any wicked way in him and to God, for God to point it out, basically, in Psalm 51.10, after his sin with Bathsheba, adultery, right? With Bathsheba, and then he has her husband basically killed on the battlefront so he could take her as his wife. He prays this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Man, God, investigate my life get rid of all of the stuff in my heart and my anxious thoughts and my wicked ways and actions and make it right. Renew it. Renew it. Take it from me. And so we see God coming in and revealing to David all these areas of his life. And so David invites him in for this investigation. And thirdly, why? for the ultimate intention. Why did David want him to come in and investigate his life and to search him? Because of his last line. His last line is this, lead me in the way everlasting, meaning help me live a right life when it comes to my heart and emotions, when it comes to my thoughts, when it comes to my actions, in all these areas of my life, may I be honest to self. And may I be right with you and with others. And may I not try to justify all these areas out in my life. But may I walk in what is right. Because here's the challenge we have. You know, in life, we have something that triggers us. And then it triggers us. And then we have these thoughts. And with our thoughts come these emotions. And then with these emotions come actions. And with these actions then produces an outcome, produces an outcome. And so we can have men, a trigger where we see a beautiful woman 
And that trigger then brings up thoughts of maybe our spouse is inadequate. And then we have all these emotions of what it would be maybe like to be in the relationship with that other woman. And then we have this behavior of like, oh, what would that look like? And people have taken that step into adultery, right? And what's the outcome? Destruction of marriage, of family, of society as a whole. And so David is saying, God, I don't want to live there anymore. And so come in. I invite you to investigate me because my intention is to have you lead me in the way everlasting. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Every morning when I journal and and, uh, pray in that, I use this coffee cup, and it's a clay coffee cup with a cross on it, and it's from the monks at St. John's Abbey up at St. John's University. I went there for a silent retreat where I did mass with them in the morning and then in the evening said mass with them and it was a silent retreat. But they molded this cup out of clay. And this is a picture of what David is inviting God to do in his life. He's saying, God, you are the potter. I'm the clay here. I need you to mold me. I need you to make me what is not only just good for me, but glorifying to you. And so as we leave here today, you're going to receive a sheet on the way out, and it's a worksheet that is going to walk you through just what I said as far as inviting God in to investigate your life for the intention that you will walk in the way of God everlasting. And so as you go out, take this sheet and get some alone time with God, you know, half hour, and lay it before him, and allow him to search you as well. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be people who are like you. But the only way we get to be like you is for you to search us and to bring what is out of order back into order. And so I pray that you would do this good work in us to your glory and to our good. I pray that we would be honest to self and we would listen to whatever you bring forth in our life. Not to condemn us, but to make us really who we always wanted to be, like you. In Jesus' name, amen.